I think I got it. You said you wanted to We're do live. Short, you wanted to do short ones? Short podcasts? Yeah, we'll move through, this, through the topics. We're going to make them all separate podcasts? Or? I don't know. We're going we're gonna to wing it, that's for sure. Depends on the questions, huh? Yes, okay. You can edit them together, the ones that relate. Yes, okay, so let's set the, the, the tone. One, the, the camera slash recording device is hanging in the truck as we jet as we travel to our journey destination out west undisclosed um you're gonna have some road noise yeah uh this is byron horton i'm here with dave do i need to talk louder since it's way over there yeah definitely want me to scream definitely so we asked for podcast questions because we knew we were going to be together so we might as well knock out some podcasts so why not do it while we're driving i mean we got nothing else to do for some 20 bazillion hours. Yeah. Pro tip off the start, we got pizza at a gas station that's delicious. It's Godfather's, that's what it was. We thought it was Grandfather's. Oh, okay. I would give it a solid 9 out of 10 for breakfast pizza. Yeah, it had peppers and onions on it. The crust and stuff was really good. I would like to try their, like, non-breakfast pizza. And how would you rank it, it compared to Casey's? It was like, well, I don't know. I haven't had Casey's in a long time. Okay. I've had Casey's since the last... Work class bowhunter shoot. Oh, Which when did we go to there? When was the last one we went to? Three years it was ago. Still at, it was still at Gene's house. Three or four years ago. Yeah. I need to message Gene. I haven't talked to him in a while. Alright. Well, so we asked for podcast topics of the day, and I thought it'd be something fun to work through and knock some of this drive out with and, and conversate. So, let's get started. Jesse Van D. Crow. Thanks, how do you pronounce that? <laughs> Bucket list dream hunt, what and where? Oh, uh, I mean, it's, it's probably pretty typical to everybody else, right? Like a moose? I'm not a moose guy. I think how, elk are cooler than moose. moose I think elk, elk are cooler than moose. I, I think... That's it, true, because they're just as big, they scream They scream, yeah, and I think they're, the racks are cooler. Ah. Oh, really? Big old moose paddles? Yeah, I don't know. I think I think elk would look more like out of like like Joe Rogan says something out of Game of Thrones more than moose do. Yeah. So I would say yeah, like a screaming elk right in your face. I think that would be pretty sweet. So dream hunt might be like uh, like you think like some like private land elk where you can like see like a bunch of like. Yeah. Rutting, screaming bullwax. Oh yeah, I want something. Yeah, that would be that would be the dream. I think that that. that. Do you have any any aspirations to go to Africa? No, I don't. Do you? So I've I've heard people talk about it and stuff, and what seems like it's pretty cool about Africa is you get to shoot like ten to fifteen different animals. Yeah, true. And uh, you know. And, when it comes down to it, it's really like not that expensive considering the amount of animal stuff you get to shoot. Like you the price like per Afri- animal is better. Yeah, you would think like Africa would be like not like possible for a average person, but I was talking to somebody about the affordability of it. Um, and it was. It might have been Clark Cummins actually. Okay. And he was telling me about that. It's actually somewhat like affordable to do. Okay. Because um, I think they went there with respect to game. I think so. Maybe I don't remember. Yeah. But nonetheless, uh, no, I don't really have any. I don't, yeah, I think it could be fun though. Yeah. 
Um, uh, what about uh, North American? Uh, what's the dream hunt? Yeah, I'm. You know, I guess. You know, like you said, probably yeah, either moose or elk. Obviously, something big. Yeah, um, and I'm not sure whitetail's not the wrong answer for me. What are some of those like prestigious? Elk? Time lapse worked. Oh, worked. What are those some of those uh, prestigious elk tag units? I like, think like anywhere in New Mexico. Maybe even like Utah. Yeah. I don't know. Arizona yeah. might have some really, really prestigious stuff. I think. I think so. So yeah, that's. And it'd be tough for me not to say like I wouldn't rather have my own little like, 15, 20 acre track that I could go to way more than necessarily, you know, a dream hunt where you spend buku dollars on it. Well, what if it was like freedom? Yeah. Or like a drawing for it or something. I don't really have any interest in uh, sheep or mountain goats or nothing. Yeah, those don't do it for me. And those are like once-in-a-lifetime type of tags. Yeah. And I don't, yeah, I'm never going to apply for those. What about bear? The appeal for me is a spring bear trip where you fish half the time, and it's more like a vacation than a true, like, hunt. And there's like a high success rate yeah. of, of getting a bear. That way you can at least, like, like almost like a really high success rate to get one. Yeah. You kind of, kind of just want to shoot a bear just to kind of say I shot a bear. Okay. But I don't really like want to necessarily go. I saw crazy hunting for bears. Um, I saw the Ethan guy. Um, I forget his last name escapes me. But uh, he went to West this spring and did like a rifle spot stock style bear hunt in the spring. Yeah, that could be fun. And uh, was successful. And it was like DIY-ish and it was, I don't know, it was kind of like, it looked like a cool hunt. Yeah. You know, less serious, you got the rifle, you're covering ground maybe. I don't think that's a like dream hunt. and stuff, you know? Don't people like float them a lot with rifles and they kind of shoot them off the river banks and stuff? I don't know. I don't think, of, dude, I think that's, a, I think there's some deer in that field. Maybe not. No, I can't see. Um, and then grizzlies? No, hard pass. <laughs> just for, just out of fear? or uh, Just, I no desire. I think it's a tough tag to get for those, too. Yeah, I think it is. Caribous are big. Yeah. And you can hunt caribou over the counter in Alaska. Yeah. Certain species in Alaska, I think you have to have a guide, they say. Yeah, or a local. But certain species, you don't. Okay. I think that's how that works. All right. I could be wrong. Yep. But I think elk. I think we're going on really... One of the... Would have been one of my dream hunts, you know. If, you know, I've been talking about going out west to hunt elk for 10 years. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I will say, I think we missed time this adventure. Just in our lives? Yeah, I, I wish we were five years younger. <laughs> and just going like let's let's go elk hunting the next three years and just learn it boom 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 yeah but and maybe before the boom you know yeah the big public land boom with like you said thp and onyx go hunt all those resources now. i think onyx really like i don't know i wouldn't say ruined but like the convenience of onyx really put a lot more people on public land yep all right, man. I think let's. Uh, we'll re I'm going to reposition the camera and let's move to the next segment. Next question. All right. Ah, I found it. Okay, let's go to the next question here. Yeah, is it recording? Yes, it's recording. Bedding area proximity to agriculture fields. Once the crops come off, 
Is it automatically the closest to the food source or do deer travel further when screen cover cornfields is removed? So as crops are coming off, I feel like the question is, how does bedding relate to the proximity of those destinations? Yeah. So like when they cut the cornfields, are they just going to the closest woodlot or are they changing bedding locations completely? Yeah. What's your two cents? One, I don't know the answer. No, I can't say I have any like... Um, Hardcore. Yeah, like trail cam evidence, you know, or I don't have any anecdotal evidence really, but I have like theories. Sure. Um, I think right around the time the crops come off, I think some of the food uh, source changes. You know, because because they're starting to change some of their some of their food sources at the same time. You know, all that kind of happens. You know, in the in the month of October there, where you know crops start to come down, some crop you know beans start to turn yellow, corn becomes ready to eat, corn gets harvested acorns start dropping maple leaves start dropping you know woody brows become a little more popular and, and it's it's all kind of very changing right there in that month of october we're in illinois we're in illinois solid um four hours we've been driving um, um so i mean i think it's not um yeah i don't know i think it would depend on what what else they're eating yeah, I, I, I think some deer. Uh, I've heard the Whitetail Legacy guys talk about this, and they hunt a lot more ag country. And yeah. they'll say, "We've got this buck that he'll travel over a mile to go to a food source at night, and then come back to this bedding area." Uh, what food source, though? You know, well, what? They, I, mean, I don't think they disclosed, but. But what kind of food source is like that's the food source, and yep. it stays that food source all year long? I mean, you don't; those don't exist. I can tell you this to answer the corn pile. To, yeah, to answer this guy's question or my thoughts personally around how I hunt agriculture bedding to food type habitat. Like one, I I know there's a variety of crop fields in the agriculture that I'm hunting. Now, if it's the first corn field to get picked, I might key in on that. But that's honestly, true. that's true because when corn gets picked, they they're heavy on it. The first couple of days. Yeah. Or week. Week. Uh, yeah. But right away. So if that's the case, as soon as crop gets picked, I would say yes, they probably do find some of the closest bedding possible. Yeah. Because they're going to eat the shit out of that those next few days. Yeah. But then uh, they probably move. And honestly, it's it's more about a maybe a in-season discovery. Like I have bedding areas marked in farm country right now that I plan on hunting this fall. Uh, I'll let trail cam data and I'll kind of assess hunting pressure and deer buck sign if I'm going to hunt that hard or not. You know, I, I, I don't really I don't really change what I'm doing based on, on necessarily uh, are the crops in or out. It's, it's, it's hopefully I've, I've found another clue to, to say I'm going to hunt that particular bedding area. Yeah. So. Well, and I think, like you mentioned, the screening of the corn... Um, you know, they'll use that corn screening for travel purposes as well, not just like for for feeding purposes. So when the when the corn comes down, they're going to change their travel routes to where they can stay in cover. And so since their travel routes are changed, their bedding might be changed. That way, they can travel to and from their bed with 
appropriate wind, you know. If they've been betting here, you know, say with your typical west wind, because they know that they can bed there, they can cut through corn or use corn as a screen and then go feed in beans or whatever, that might be the case. Corn's gone, they don't have that screen anymore, down that bedding spot doesn't work because they still want to get to them beans, so they're going to move to a different bedding point so they still have some kind of cover. Yep. To get there. They're going to travel with cover regardless. And corn is obviously some of their best cover that they can use for travel purposes. But when it's gone, it's gone. Um, Wade would probably be a good one to ask that question because he hunts, that's all he hunts is Agley. And, you yeah. know, with, and they, they change up fields around him and then he's seen deer movement change depending on what fields are around his property. Because yeah. he's got basically his his property is surrounded by he's got three different fields you know on three sides of his property is three different fields and they plant them you know changes constantly so he would know how the deer move differently depending on if he's got corn north or south of him when the corn gets picked if that what difference that makes he would know that too you know yep yep all right here's a good one uh setting up in the dark first time in a new tree so any tips thoughts around doing this this guy's uh, instagram handle says it all the novice bow hunter <laughs> i mean that right there is he ain't that or not much of a novice because that's a good question setting up in the dark going into a new tree in the dark something you've never pre-scouted you don't have a tree marked that's that's a pain in the ass you know how many times i've climbed a tree to like be 20 feet up and realize it's deader than hell and they had to get down and climb another tree like once it got daylight you know tips for that practice i mean what's the the same process what's the problem what's read it again it, it, it literally just says setting up in the dark for the first time in a new tree so i would say setting have, up in the setting up in the dark that comes a practice yep just learning how to set up your stand but like as far as going into the woods okay i got an area in mind i want to hunt and now i'm getting close to that area it's pitch black dark and i gotta find a tree mm -hmm. you gotta find the right tree in the dark that's the hard part and very often you 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 pick the wrong one and you get up there and you look around and you realize shit i should have been in that tree 15 yards away I, I i can't even shoot from this tree you know yeah some people will wait till gray light uh, I, I don't think I do that. I think I can tell enough no. with a headlamp and... I'd it, rather get there early enough where I can beam mode. Be, beam around. Yeah. With, I'll just shine everything up with a headlamp, but I'm there early enough to where I'm not affecting anything. Yeah, I don't like to backtrack as well, so so I do slow down. Slow down, so yeah, yeah, that's another thing. Slow down so you don't backtrack. Uh, and if you do make end up walking in like a little circle or backtrack a little bit, make sure you know where you walked so, so you can shoot them before they get your ground set. Yep. Um, as far as any tips for, for setting up more effectively in the dark, I think like storing your straps in the same point is a, is a good point. Um, yeah. I have carabiners on both sides of my lineman's belt so I can detach on left and right. I use a Ropeman 1. If you're a novice rookie, you may want to look at our, our YouTube channel. Uh, we mentioned the Ropeman 1 is a way to tighten the lineman's belt and loosen it to, to give slack 
and, and that one hand operation makes yeah. hanging a stand so much easier. I would say also the easy hang bracket system, whether it be a DIY or ones that the companies use. Which or make. if he's a novice bow hunter, he might not know what that means. Basically, if you're hanging your stand, you have some kind of hook system where you can take your stand off your back and you know you put that strap around a tree that has a hook on it basically and you can hang your stand and let it kind of rest there get it positioned how you want to then put your straps on that way you're not trying to strap it and hold it at the same time because that that can get hard you know yeah you're not having to fight stand weight when Which you've we've got... done that for yeah once we discovered it it was it was a no-brainer mm -hmm. um so I think that's a couple of things to consider. If you're debating between trees, it's always easier to climb the slightly smaller tree that you can work around. You know what I'm saying? Where they're like yeah. basketball round or, or, or whatever yeah. versus a giant. Well, it's easier when, like, when you're climbing, if you can put that other hand, like, like if you can kind of grab the back of the tree as you're climbing. Like, you know, sometimes when you climb, like if you get in a big tree and you're like, barely holding on to your sticks trying to climb up you know when you mm -hmm. can't get that hand around it's it like an extra yeah extra or you have point. to really use your lineman's belt like like an actual lineman mm -hmm. and fully lean into it you know and then step up that way but you know there's a few ways to do it as far as hanging it in the dark though that's just practice like you said get your system down where you got your straps and your necessities and your same same houses. process every hunt yeah so it's like okay I'm always going to have some kind of cargo pockets on my pants. So I got one on the right and left. So I'm right-handed. I always put my tree stand strap in my right cargo pocket and I always have it like, and in, in, I try to do one strap per pocket. That way I don't ever go to pull a strap out and then it catches the other strap and then I drop it. Drop it on the ground. So I always do one, one, one strap per pocket, whether that's my easy hang strap or that's my tree stand strap, whether it's, you know, you know, basically those are the two straps. But, you know, that's it. And the way I do it, I think I showed it on one of our YouTube videos. If I use the easy hang strap, so I strap the easy hang hook on, hang my stand on the easy hang hook. And I put my tree stand strap on, and then I slide that easy hang hook around, and I use that for my back hang. Right, dual purpose, all yeah. about dual purpose. Yeah. Um, all right, uh, OKS Hunter, Mr. Eric writes in uh, people on public land complaining about public land. It's a privilege. Stop complaining to, and hunt harder. I mean, it's, it's a statement. What is that again? People on public land complaining about public land. Dot, dot, dot. It's a privilege. Stop complaining. Hunt harder. Yeah. I mean, I get it. Yeah. But, yeah, uh, I agree. Yeah. Um, the. It's harder now than Most of my was. public land complaints are about people mistreating the land. I hate seeing trash and marking tape everywhere, flagging tape. Guys cutting in four-wheel trails off the... Cutting in four-wheel trails. Yeah, that's the big people, one. People, you know, you know, putting, cutting in, uh, cutting in ladder stands, you know, trimming a bunch of stuff to put in a ladder stand on public land. Doing stuff you're not supposed to. That's, that's what bothers me. I mean, obviously, if you're if it's November fifth and you you got in there super early and some guy comes walking past you at eight a.m. or something, it's like <sighs> yeah, it's frustrating. But like, you don't get pissed. Yeah, you just can't at this point. I always think to myself, who's the squirrel hunter 
that decides October 20th on a cold front, slightly windy, <laughs> that it's a good time to, uh, <laughs> to go, go squirrel. squirrel blasting. I'm like, dude, squirrels like sunny, warm days, limited yeah. <laughs> wind. Like, dude, really? Yeah, the squirrel hunters are more frustrating than other deer hunters for sure. Yep. Which, I mean, it is what it is. It's public land. Well, here's a, here's a, I'm, a, I'm a bitch right here. I know multiple people that will small game hunt their, that they won't small game hunt their private piece. Like me, I, w- I would never small game hunt my private piece in October or September. Yeah. But I'll go to public land and I'll, you know, mess Last those. Way. Yeah. Kind of hate that factor. And score hunters have no regard for, um, like, other vehicles in the lots. Yeah, yeah. There's a, yeah, there's not a, like, I feel like other whitetail hunters may say, oh, there's a guy in there. Yeah, I'm like, a- you see a vehicle parked, you kind of say, okay, there's a guy up that hill in that area somewhere. I'm going to go somewhere else. Score hunters come right in there and they don't give a shit. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah, I mean, but, yeah, I agree with what you said, though. Okay, here's a good one. Uh, this comes in from EVR Outdoors. Favorite hunting accounts, people you follow, most people don't know about, a.k.a. underground killers. So, Dave, let's let's break this down a little bit. Okay. Favorite hunting accounts. What are you, some of your favorite hunting accounts you follow via social media platforms or whatever? Uh... I'd say my favorite is probably Whitetail Adrenaline. Okay, that's a good one. Um, that's it. I don't really follow that many. Okay. I mean, I follow some of our, like, um, like so we have, like, some friends who kind of, uh, I guess, are in the industry who have platforms. Obviously, you got, like, Last Breath TV. Um, you got uh, Walt down there chasing tails. Um, any you know, funny we, accounts that you follow that you like? Or a guy makes you laugh? Bow Hunting Fiend. Bow Hunting Fiend, yep. He's got a good one to follow. He might be underground for somebody. He's been pretty big for a while, though. Yeah. I don't think his YouTube is super popular. Though. I think it used to be pretty, because um, he was an early adapter. Okay, yeah. So I've watched all of his stuff. Um, and he's as far funny. as, like, YouTube, he's, he's, as far as YouTube they're talking. Just anything. Like, you know... You know, like I said, we could touch base some of the, some of our you know friends we have. You know, like Kevin, you know, Vissasin with Deer yep. Hunter podcast and stuff. You know, we I kind of follow along with some of the people that I that I know. Are there any underground or semi-popular people that you like respect or something? I or, mean, or like qualities or like, oh man, that guy, you know, he does it every year. Uh. None of them, like, I can't think of anything specific that's, like, some super secret underground person. I mean, everybody knows some of the killers that are pretty popular at this point. Andy May, obviously, comes to mind. But everybody knows him. He's not undercover. No, he's not. He does a video, though. Yeah. Probably why he kills so much. <laughs> there it is. Don't self-film. It's terrible. Don't do it. Um, favorite... Do you have somebody in mind that, that you're hitting it? Um... I'll go through uh, favorite hunting accounts. Um, I follow a variety of hunting accounts. You do follow a lot more than I do. I follow um, I follow some photographers that are that are pretty killer. That I like. Breaking their, point. I like yeah. Breaking point. Say. Um, I like their. I like their video production and their style. Yeah. I think if anybody watches my stuff, I, I try and do what they do sometimes. Yeah. I like their style. Um, yeah. As far as. Oh, I'm, I'm trying to think if, you know, YouTube-wise, uh, I've watched The Push a little bit. 
archery. Um, I like a couple of they, I, I think they do a good job. Uh, the, I watched the Untamed because it's a little better product. And I'm not even sure I've heard of that. Well, they're the, the guys out of West Virginia, they hunt like on the ground, ghillie suits, strip mines. You would probably actually really like their product. Yeah. And it's like just enough produced. It's, it's whitetail adrenaline-esque. I've probably watched a lot of this stuff. I just don't even know who they are when I watch their videos, you know? Okay. The Element guys. Element guys crack me up. Uh, yeah. uh, even if it's not their... I've just listened to them on Wired to Hunt, but I just think they're funny. Um, oh, Jason's YouTube page. Simcovia, yeah. yeah. You, you know, I Traditional thought, Bow Hunter and Wilderness podcast. That's what his YouTube channel's name too, right? Yeah. Yeah, we um Jason does an individual podcast in like honestly some of my favorite podcasts of his or uh not even about hunting. Uh one that sticks out to me is like the power of of just going. And it's a I remember that one, yeah. Where it's like, man, I may only get in twenty minutes of fishing on a Wednesday. But you, you do that a time or two over the summer, and one of those nights you hit the big, like, the night the fish are biting like crazy, and you, you and the kids have just a great time. Um, and if you wait for that perfect Saturday where the the weather's supposed to be beautiful, blah, 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 you just wait forever. And well, then something comes up, a kid's got a birthday party, you don't end up going. It reminds me of, like, back when we were younger and we just, we did just go. Mm -hmm. Just because we just didn't have responsibilities, didn't have shit to do so we just like I'd get like you said fishing I, I definitely fished way more than I hunted when I was younger yeah and uh but yeah we would just go all the time yeah like I said uh, it's like 7pm on like a Friday night what are you guys doing ain't really nothing going on let's go to the lake yeah. drive an hour and go fishing somewhere and he's uh, he even magnified it out that when he was a little bit younger before kids him and he found another crazy buddy kind of like you and I that they would look at the weather forecast and when they saw that, I don't know, northern Minnesota was going to get blasted with snow and they had snowmobiles, they would leave them on Friday, they would drive six to eight hours and they'd snowmobile for a six hour half day and then they would drive home, but they went and they went because the conditions were good. They didn't pick, hey, December 28th, we're going snowmobiling and then December 28th rolls around and they had a week in the upper 50s. Yeah. And, and there's no snow. So he just talked about the power of going. Yeah. Um, and it, it was a cool podcast. Uh, as far as like other accounts, I think you've mentioned a few of those that I follow via Instagram. Uh, that Ethan guy, I watch his his Instagram story, Moose. Uh, Ryan, I forget his last name, starts with a G out of Pennsylvania. Because he's a, a, a DIY public land workout guy. Like, See, I don't get on Instagram that much. Okay. Uh, who else do I follow? All the major podcasts, I, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts, or yeah. at least pick and choose the guest. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I will say this, I think this may shock some people, I don't watch a ton of THP. Uh, yeah, I, I, I do some. I just, it's, it's uh... It's like, uh, they're, they're 30 minutes, they're slower paced, they're kind of like long, like, uh, video blog type of hunts, you know? Yeah. Um... Sometimes, like, you know, a lot of videos they don't kill. Yeah, I don't Obviously. think I, yeah, I, I can't sit there and, and pound them out. I just, I, um, my favorite, one Sometimes of my Sometimes I'd like leave it on. Like, I'll turn it on on like my TV, smart TVs, or YouTube, you know. Yeah. I'll turn it on and then, like, like somehow I'll catch myself, like, leaving it on and going and doing something else. Mm -hmm. And then it'll just be on there playing. And I'll watch, like, bits and pieces, and then I gotta, like, go back. And I, I, I catch myself doing that a lot with their videos. Yeah. 
but we're going elk hunting, so I've watched a lot of their elk stuff because they're DIY elk hunting, and that's what we're doing. Yep. So I've watched a lot of their elk stuff here recently. Yeah. Whenever they kill, I make sure to watch. I watch all their Ohio stuff. Yeah. But I also know guys that go on that trip, so. Yeah. With Larry. Yeah. Uh, I watch a lot of their stuff. I actually watch a decent amount of Jeff Sturgis, even though I only do habitat manipulation like three days a year. Yeah, because you got that small farm. Yeah, but I, I like I like what he does. I don't know. Or maybe he does a good job at doing YouTube videos. Uh, I watch the Exodus stuff uh, a lot. I like their podcast and their short uh, video, I don't know, deer hunting related topics. Yeah, I, I've hit some of their podcasts here and there, usually when you send them to me. Okay. Um, as far as an unknown or, or killer... You know, I look up, uh, I have the... There's the, a lot of these unknown killers out there. You see yeah. them occasionally will post on Facebook or something, and they got these walls of tons of tons of deer. I just don't know their names. Yeah. Um, I really look up to Heath Cisco because I can ask him uh, questions just because I have his number, and he's kind of getting pretty well known now. Yeah, he kills giants. Yeah. He kills giants, but, but hunts a variety of habitats. And has killed some really good deer in, in the bigger woodsy-type habitats, you know? He's hunted different habitats like throughout his life too. Yeah. Kind of yeah. So I kind of like that. Um, all right, let's move on to the next one here. Um, Kevin Hissel. Recently trying to understand thermals. If setting up before first light and planning a four-hour sit, do you plan for the initial falling of thermals or the later rising of thermals? Same for an evening. So, I would assume uh, Kevin is hunting <laughs> some sort of uh, hill country or, yeah. farm, or not non farm country. I'm, I'm looking at his Instagram as we speak. You know, that's a good question. Because in farm country, I don't play thermals all that much unless it's super low wind, creaky type situations. Um, little drop bluffy stuff but I don't you know it's not as, as hard a factor that, that it is in hill country what do you do you have two cents on the matter as far as a morning set let's call it hill country uh, how say, are you playing thermals in that kind of setup and location um, I try not to set up directly so if you got a hill straight up I guess I, I try to um, set up for more side traffic than strictly up or down the hill. Traffic. Yes, yes, you you're playing. So whether the thermals are going up or the thermals are going down, I'm still I'm still good to get the we'll say east west travel, you know. Mm -hmm. So that's because yeah, because he's right. I'd say I'd say if I were going in for a morning hunt for four hours, I would plan for the dropping in the morning for sure. They're not going to start rising till till midish day, two, yeah, three 10, hours and uh, 10, 11 anyways. So in the morning, I would expect them. To, I would hunt the drop. Um, yeah, I don't want a necessarily deer below me as I'm setting up in the dark. Not in the morning, no. Um, but um, and it depends too on if it's a sun-facing type slope or not. You know, are you gonna? Is it a big front of a hillside that catches a lot of the morning sun? Because then those thermals do tend to, to come up quick. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Ginky, and I have done this a few times, will set up 
and then once those really kick in around 9, 10 o'clock, we'll go shift. Uh, and it may only be a 20, 30 yard shift, but he will shift. Um, we have done that a lot in the road, yeah. where, where you'll end up hanging a stand three times uh, in the day. Now, he does he does pivot here, and I think this is an easier answer. He says, okay, what about an evening hunt? And an evening hunt, I'm really just playing that last 30 minutes of daylight drop. You can't. I, I, I approach the stand. But you have to yeah, know that your thermal's going to be rising that whole first half of that evening sit. So you can't you can't let a buck get above you. You can't, well, suspect a deer, let's say. You don't want the deer to be above you in the evening sit, obviously, because the thermals are going to be rising. They're going to be dropping at the end. But, yeah, I'm playing the... I, I would focus my thoughts on hunting when the thermals are dropping because I don't think the deer really going to start moving until that time anyways. But you have to be cognizant of where they're rising to Yeah. So if you're, you're sitting there. If you're walking in a ridge system, you don't want to walk right below where you think they're up top or, or up there. Yeah. Uh, you can you can you can be walking a bottom and you're like okay out ahead of me let's call it three four hundred yards they're up top somewhere and my thermals are rising but they're not exactly rising to the deer that I plan to attack and then I come in from the bottom and let's say I set up on a scrape or an oak if a buck's traveling straight downhill from his bed it's it's, it's an, almost he's probably not tough killable. to kill yeah yeah, yeah. so. Uh, I know we have uh, uh, the scrape you had found sheds off of, and we um, we both marked the same bed, even though we weren't there that same day. Yeah. Um, that that area in particular, I think we talked about maybe attacking it on a uh, lower cl uh, like a cloud covery type day. Or I think um, I think actually don't say too much here. Okay. <laughs> well, there was a cut. Okay. Yep. We can say that. There's a cut um, on the same hillside that the bed's on. I think that the the deer's bedding and probably going. There's no there's no major ag around. It's probably going to the cut to feed. Yeah. So there's gotta, good oaks low there. There are good oaks below too. Yeah, that's true. But you'd have to walk. We have to come in from a different access, get in between him and the cut mm -hmm. on the same playing field up the bed the same elevation yeah and then a deer that travels on the same elevation out of their bed is more killable than the ones go up or down because of thermals yep okay you know and then i haven't i've never seen it i've never killed a buck that stood up out of a bed in hill country where i played the thermals perfectly i can say in my mind Yep, I had the thermals exactly right, and he stood up and came right to me. You know? Yeah, we don't have the, the Jake Bush, the early season stands up out of a bed. We're, we're yeah. late October, November killers. Pretty much, yeah. Especially now, because we don't hunt as much with families and whatnot. Yeah. But, you know, in theory, you know. This is, this is my favorite topic, I think, to, to, to discuss out of the group here. This comes in from the Whitetail Legacy guys. They just actually had a that Ryan guy on and talked to trail camera stuff. Podcast topic: choosing the kill tree. Talking yardage, wind, cover, in the choice. How do you choose the kill tree? What are factors in and around the kill tree? Okay. Kill tree is huge. Um, There's that, always the best tree. You never. Uh, I mean, that is. You never really find it either until you like. 
this is only for like a run spot, right? Because you can't. I mean, I don't know. I think. I think. I'm not hunting the same tree multiple times unless it's like a rut tree. Yeah. I have a handful of rut trees. Well, I think I'm, this question too could be taken. Okay, you've scouted your way in on an evening hunt. You're like, you find the right spot. Here's a couple trails, some scrapes. Like okay. my spidey senses are going off. What tree do I need to get in? Like, what factors? What are you? What are you thinking about during that time period? Okay, I do like to not be right right on the trail. Okay, I like to keep it about 20. If there's if I'm hunting one trail, I feel like that gives you a good enough distance. It's still a chip shot. Yeah, 15 to 20 is nice. Yeah, I don't want to be. I don't want to be 30. And I don't want to be. I don't. Yeah, I don't want to be right like two, three, four. Split the difference if you got multiple potential trails, the best you can. Um, the type of tree with the cover. Um, I'm trying to think of an ideal scenario here. Ideally, the, if it's still got leaves on the tree, I like to have cover from a different tree than the tree I'm climbing. It's root, so yeah. Easier. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I almost like, yeah, yeah, like a, I'll call it a telephone pole, but a very limited climb as yep. far as the tree. But maybe you got like a beech or a maple right next to you and it's a, let's call it a baseball round uh, tree. So it spindles out at about 15 to 20 foot where it's got good canopy cover right next right to you. Right next to you, yeah. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, you know, if you get, you know, obviously you can get some big gnarly trees, great, but it's going to be a pain in the ass climb. Mm-hmm. But it's great when you're up in there. Um, what were the other topics? You said, you said type of tree, yardage. Wind, cover. Wind. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, wind's assessed along the access route to, to the location for sure. Sometimes I don't mind the wind blowing to the deer's trail. As long as I know, I'm gonna shoot him first before he gets it. Yeah. The snow bucks like that. Yeah. I don't know if he caught my ground scent or he caught the scent coming from the tree, but I knew based on that ambush location, one, that was the place to be if he was gonna repeat, and then two, while I'm sitting there, like I know when he comes down that military crest, he's he's gonna catch my wind or my ground scent. I walked. That was the way the way to get in there. So I knew he was either gonna catch that or my wind was going right there. But I was like, I need to shoot him. Well, and like you said, so, you know, so you got, so you got wind blowing, you know, so you basically walked in wind at your back. Let's see here. No. Because you got your foot trail and you got the wind blowing that way? No. When, uh, I came in a bottom and I went straight up the, the, the hillside that he. So you got your ground scent. And he was the wind. So if, if my hat is the, the stand, I came straight up the hill and the wind's coming this way. Coming back in your face. Yeah, it was leeward. So then your wind and your ground center are in the same trail. Yeah, same, yeah. So that's ideal. Sometimes you, you, so you got, let's say you got four directions. Let, let, let me uh, paint the picture here. You got a hillside, think of a clock, okay? Yeah. My tree stand is 12 o'clock. My access approach was along the bottom of the clock, and then when I got to 6 o'clock, I went straight to 12. You know, I went straight upward. And so the wind is blowing. I think it was, I can't even remember. I'd have to look at a map. But the, yeah, it's blowing from 12, 12, to six. 12 to 6. But I also walked in that same route. And the deer essentially was moving across the clock face from, uh, let's see here, 9 to 3. It was his route of travel. Yeah. 
but for audio He was purposes, about to catch your ground set or wind. Yeah, something. yeah, he was about to catch it. So sometimes, you know, um, sometimes you can't, you can't, that, that's ideal because you had your ground set and your wind blowing the same, the same direction. So you only, you only canceled one section of the clock. Yep. Sometimes you have to cancel two sections of the clock. Mm -hmm. You know, you got the wind blowing this way and your ground sense this way, so you're like, okay, you know, but you just got to know those things when you get there. And the, the more sections of the clock you you leave available to not have scent, whether it's wind or ground, the better. Yeah. Um, as far as picking the perfect kill tree, uh, a lot of that comes to, a lot of that does become cover, though. Like, you get to a spot, you find, you got hammer down scrape, you got a rub lines, you got a couple of good trails, you got potential bedding points up top. You're like, I'm going to sit here, say it's a rut set. Then it's like, I need to be right here where I'm standing, and there's no trees around that are climbable <laughs> or with good cover, you know? Yep. Then what do you do? That's when you, that's when it's tough to find a kill tree. You know, that's why um, I like to take a couple of those extra Cranfords with me. Mm -hmm. Those Cranford rope steps. They're small, they pack up, I them in the bottom of my pack. And then on that day, I can try to push the limits to 25. You can get 20 plus, feet. yeah. You know, because you can really stretch it out. I'll stretch out my sticks. You know, if there's all there is is some telephone pole type trees, don't have much cover, I'm gonna be pushing as high as I can get to 30 feet if possible. You know, I'm gonna be stretching my sticks out and I'm gonna be using those, those couple Cranfords that I keep, you know. Um, I wouldn't call that like, like I wouldn't like to do that over and over. No, that's, that's a, more of a scouting my way in type of a find. Yeah. As far as finding the kill tree itself goes in an area, we have a few areas like that that we hunt year after year in the rut. They're kind of pinches, bottlenecks. The pinch. A couple we good scrapes. Yeah. And it takes a handful of sits to find which tree is best. Yeah. You know, you start to see tendencies. You know, um, you know, down at the the scrape that I hunted for the last few years. You know the one I'm talking mm -hmm. about. Um, where Vince was at. The one buck that I've been chasing. Yep. He, um, we, we started that hunting way up the hill. And then I saw movement down there. So I moved down 40 yards. And then I saw, um, had movement by me, but I also saw movement down lower. So I'm like, you know, I can move lower and cut the distance. You know, and then I, now I'm hunting to where I found the kill tree. I got one tree I go to every time I go there, and I'm splitting two trails. I can shoot the scrape, you know, and, you know, I found the tree. It's taken a few times, though. I yep. got the cover, you know. I've killed two bucks off the same ridge, and the first one I killed off of there, I think I hung four different trees out of the same 50-yard oh, circle. And then I killed a deer there a couple years later, and I think I was in a totally different tree. And to this day, I'm still not sure I have found the exact perfect tree where you, you can, you know, you have the best of uh, thermals, you have the best of cover, you have the, the ability to shoot both the main, there's, there's two main trails. Yeah. It's like, I still don't know, and I've hunted that thing for six, seven, ten years maybe. Well, and in some of those kill locations, you might be shifting trees 30 yards. Because of the blowdown from prior years. Or because of the wind. Oh, sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah, or because of the wind. You know, you might say... Like you said, on that on that farm there, you might need, yeah, I mean, because say you got two trails there 40 yards apart. Yeah. Here's the main traffic for the deer. They use one of these two areas, and then you're going to hunt accordingly depending on what the wind is, where you think the deer's going to be doing with whatever wind's blowing. So some areas you might not have this specific kill tree that you hunt over and over. 
Am I just, we're, we're, seeing, we're, we're seeing a bunch of signs No, you're here. good here. We're continuing straight on our journey. Um, as far as if I'm sitting there at the base of the tree, I think another thing to mention is take your time because you want to pick the right one. You don't want to backtrack. You don't want to backtrack. So standing there or taking your standing sticks off your back to relieve your shoulders and making the right decision is, is we way more important. Off. We do. In the, if you have daylight uh, as an advantage. Me and you have went on evening hunts. We've, we've been hunting together, scouting our way in, and we'll stop 200-ish yards out from where we're even wanting to go yeah. and start glassing potential trees. We'll glass, try to glass rubs. You can even potentially glass deer, deer trails sometimes, yep. yeah. depending on what kind of vision, you, you know, what kind of uh, openness you got in that area. It's only 45 to terrible it is um so yeah like i think that's a, a good thing to mention is taking your time in the mornings i'm pretty much i i kind of blast walk to my tree pretty quickly i my thought is i want to get there you do we, we we're a little different that way i'll get within two three hundred yards 400 yards even and, and really slow down and you're like i'd rather just blast and get there 20 minutes earlier yeah in the dark, you know. Yeah, I would agree. I, I we, don't. We pre-mark a lot of our trees when we're scouting. Yes, and leaving detailed notes. Detailed notes on your onyx, you know, like literally, basketball size, split at eight feet. Next um, to the beach. Next to a beach tree, yeah. There's like four or five notes, and then uh, sometimes I'll leave. This is a tree you hunt low, or uh, be sure to be able to shoot the scrape. So like. Maybe it's a tree that's got a, a variety of trees around you where it's a little bit thicker canopy in general. Like leaving a note that I don't care what height you're at, you, you know, you're there to shoot the scrape. Yeah, and then we, we do a lot of, you know, obviously our scouting's in the late winter, uh, you know, early spring or whatever. So sometimes you you might pick a tree and you get there and there's foliage on it and you can't see for shit, you know. Mm -hmm. It happens. That does. You try to, you know, check that out when you're there scouting and when you're marking that tree. When you're marking the tree, like you said, go to the deer trails or the scrapes that you're planning on shooting from that tree and look, like you said, at where you need to be in that tree. Because we've even, we've even made notes like, you need to get high on this tree or like you said, hunt low. You know, don't go higher than 12 feet on that tree because then you can't shoot these trails. Because when you're going in in the dark, you know, all that's all those notes. The more notes you can have on a tree that you pick out in the off-season scouting, the better. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the key. And because <laughs> yeah. everybody knows those pins aren't—they're they're not accurate. Yeah, you're in the dark. It looks way different. Yeah, those pins they made. You know, everyone's seen their cursor or their—I think it's blue dot—move 20, 30 yards, which that's huge yeah. in bow hunting woods. Yeah. So I think that's that's a couple really good uh, speaking points that around the kill tree. And if it's a new spot for a kill tree, I don't like getting in like a big gnarly tree necessarily because then I don't know. Because if it's like a new area, like completely blind, which we do at times, we do a lot of dark throw hunts. No, you do. I do a lot of dark throw hunts. Um, you know, I don't know where exactly the deer are going to be coming from. It's kind of like I have an idea in my mind, but I really don't know. So I don't like getting in a big gnarly tree where I can't shoot 
certain directions. Mm. Yeah, yeah. If, if if you said yeah, big gnarly tree, yeah. basketball round tree, I'm taking the basketball round most of the time. Like if you're hunting a field edge, just like they do on TV, and you're expecting the deer to walk right along the cornfield edge, you know, then you can get in a tree that's got all kinds of branches and shit because you know all I gotta do is be able to shoot right there. You know, I gotta shoot one spot. Mm-hmm. So so you can get in the tree with a bunch of branches and stuff. Yeah, I think I think that is it, sir. I think that is all the questions that uh, slash podcast topics that we got wrote in on. Dave, do you have anything else to add on our journey here westward? We've been driving almost five hours now. How do you feel? I don't know. Time zone boundary. Oh, Oh, shit. Fancy Uh, truck. Fancy truck. Look, it adjusted. Ah. Just like your phone. Let's see how many. I think. Did the truck change when I turned it off? I don't know. Dave, do you want to leave our listeners with anything else before we log off? Um, I mean, we got, we got another, like, 30 hours of driving. We'll so. probably do another one of these for <laughs> sure. And we'll probably do some intermixed uh, our hunting. But, uh, guys, best of luck out there. Uh, season is coming quick. Hopefully you, you got a beat on some bucks or you're ready to have your best season yet. Everybody's probably starting to pull choke cameras, I would think, right now. Yeah, that's, that's on our to-do list. <laughs> Tell our wives that when we get back. Right when we get back. Right when we get back. Hey, tomorrow, got to do some trail cams. No <laughs> hand us a divorce paper. Well, you got in trouble. You got yelled at for that on your podcast or on your YouTube video. Yeah. I turned it off when you said I got the wife's permission to go scouting. Yeah. It's like, what? That was our last podcast. We, we mentioned that that was my <laughs> rant of the day. All right. Well, just an update, everyone. Uh, we've seen zero deer here in Indiana and Illinois, so I don't know what's going on. Yeah, when we were driving deer in the morning, yeah. prime time. Prime time, Beanfield, zero deer. I don't know what's going on. All right, good luck.